Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Hi friends, Pastor Ashley Wilkerson here. I just want to welcome you again to our 11 a.m. service, Church for All Nations. And I got to tell you, friends, it's, it's with a heavy heart that I'm here this morning. I even woke up to images of not only Seattle, just up the street in disarray, reminders of the violence that's taken place even here in our backyard, but also my home state of Georgia, literally on fire. There's so much going on in our world and there's so many people that are in anguish. And I was thinking this week, actually reflecting on just this idea of feeling the various levels of pain that we're experiencing, that our brothers and sisters are experiencing. And I was thinking back to middle school and I don't know if, if any of you played this ridiculous game in middle school, but I, I had this image, I, and I don't even know what it was called. I think it was like called slaps or something. I don't, I don't know. But I remember being in the lunchroom in Lincoln County Middle School in Georgia, and I remember at the lunchroom table, we would take turns uh, slapping each other as hard as we could on our arms until we gave up right? It was all about testing your pain tolerance. And I remember learning that I had a pretty decent pain tolerance, a pretty high threshold for pain. And it became something that that I actually bragged about. Like, what a ridiculous thing to brag about. But, you know, I would brag about how I had this really high pain tolerance, right? I could could take the pain and all all the variations, (laughs) Until the day that I realized just how dangerous it can be to to have a high tolerance, a high pain tolerance, a high threshold for pain. You see, I learned it the day my daughter, Israel, my firstborn, came into the world. We lived in Los Angeles, California, and we were in our tiny little dumpy apartment in the middle of Hollywood, and... uh, and I remember telling JF, like, something feels weird, right? Yeah, something. And, and, and I remember thinking, gosh, it, it kind of feels like my stomach's cramping up. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to walk it off, right? That's what I was saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk it off. It's not necessarily time for Izzy. So I'm just going to walk it off. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then it got to the point where JF looked at me and he said, we are going to the hospital, Right, And he convinced me to get in the car. We drove to Cedar sinai And they let me know that because of my pain tolerance, I had been eight hours in labor and didn't realize it. And the issue was that my baby, Israel, she hadn't dropped into proper placement. And so with the fact that I had ignored the pain the way I had, it now put me in danger and my daughter. And I remember JF, they pulled him into the hallway and the doctor and the surgeon looked at him and he said, sir, you don't understand. If we don't get her into surgery right now, you could lose your wife and your child. And in that moment, I realized what a necessity it is to acknowledge pain. And I believe that we as the church, big C, global church, we as the church need to understand the necessity of acknowledging the pain of our brothers and sisters. You see, I believe that the Holy Spirit has shown me so clearly That if we don't acknowledge the pain of parts of our body, the body of Christ, if we don't do that, it will be to the detriment of the entire body. And not just the detriment to the body, but also to the detriment of what the Lord himself is desiring to birth through the church. 
And so with that in mind, today I want to unpack a scripture that I started to unpack last week in prayer. The Holy Spirit had already started dealing with me on it. It's found in 2 Chronicles. And we're going to unpack that today and hear what the Bible has to say about healing in our land. And I want to do that together. 2 Chronicles 7 verses 14. Scripture says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You have to understand the context of this passage. David's son Solomon had just built the temple and dedicated it to the Lord. And he was so broken over the sin and the pain in his land. He was crying out to God saying, Lord, how, how do you want to heal your land? Lord, show me how it works. And this is how the Lord responded. And friends, I believe that this exactly, this exact verse is what the Lord is speaking to us today. It's exactly what he wants us to understand about the way in which he desires to heal, honestly, our entire globe. And I wonder today, I wonder today if you would allow the Holy Spirit to unpack this verse in your heart with me today, the way he's unpacked it to me so that we can understand more of what the Lord is calling us to. Let's start at the very beginning of that passage. If my people, wow, if my people, the Lord is saying, if my people, the ones who call themselves Christians, the ones who say that they follow me, the ones who claim to be my children, that's who I want to heal my land, heal the globe through. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, if my people who are called by my name, why would the Lord say that? Why wouldn't the Lord just say, my people? I believe that the point there, friends, is that it takes more. It takes more than just receiving the Lord as your Savior. It takes not only understanding that He is our Savior, but that He has a specific calling and mission for each and every one of us here on earth. And this has something to do with it. Friends, I believe that the enemy has robbed us of understanding that God truly does want to change the world through us. Have you ever given thought to why wouldn't the Lord just immediately rapture each and every individual the second they say yes to Jesus, right? Heaven's a lot better than here, so why wouldn't he just immediately take them up into heaven to be with them? It's because he desires to change the world through us. He has a mission and a calling for each and every one of us. And friends, if we don't understand that this morning, if we don't believe that God's people, that us, the ones that call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we don't believe that we have a calling from God on our lives, then none of the rest of this is going to even matter. God desires to use us to heal his land. James 1 verse 22 says it this way. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and then forget what you look like. For the longest, this passage didn't really make much sense to me 
I thought, who looks in the mirror and then just forgets, right? What? But I believe what the Lord is trying to unpack to us when we hear or read his word and don't put it into action, we are forgetting who we are. We are forgetting that we are his people called by his name to live out a purpose. And I think that that's so important because when we look in the mirror, we need to number one, understand that we were and are created in God's image, every single one of us with a very specific mission. And this is part of that mission, friends. So we're gonna unpack the rest of this passage and look at what that mission looks like to bring healing to our land through the Spirit of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, stop there, humble yourselves. That's the first point this morning. If you're taking notes, please write it down. That is the very first step. After you understand that you're a follower of Jesus with a mission, the very first thing he tells us to do to bring healing into our land is number one, we are to humble ourselves. Proverbs 11 says it like this. The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales. What's dishonest scales? Friends, that means injustice. They used scales as a means of buying things, of purchasing things. It was weighing things to see what they were worth. And all it's unpacking here is the Lord detests injustice, but he delights in accurate weights, meaning he delights in just activity. Verse two, and I love how, I love how Proverbs connects injustice and how the Lord feels about it and then how to approach it. Verse two says, pride leads to disgrace, meaning if you approach injustice with a haughty attitude, right, with pride and arrogance, that's only gonna lead to disgrace. But look at the last part, but with humility comes wisdom. You wanna know what to do in this season of so much tension? First, you have to humble yourself. With humility comes wisdom, understanding how to navigate the seasons. I think we need to pause for a second and remember what the word humility even means. Because you see, humility has a negative connotation in our culture because it's associated with words like humiliation, right? And no one wants to experience that. But when scripture talks about humility, the actual definition is a modest or low view of one's own importance. What does that mean? It means a conscious choice to make the needs, the feelings, the pain of others more important than your own. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. To humble yourself in the way that scripture's talking about, it is a conscious choice to make the pain, the needs, the feelings, the importance of others more important than yourself. I gotta tell you, if your mind immediately, when I read that, if your mind went immediately to, yes, that is exactly right. Other people need to put my needs ahead of their own. Then friend, this is your deal. <laughs> this is your struggle, right? And this is also so incredibly important for you to understand what God is calling you to. Philippians says it like this. Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Why would the Lord require, why would he tell us to humble ourselves before we even pray? Why would he do that? Because if we are unwilling to do that, friends, when we go to the Lord and pray, we're not gonna be praying his will. We're gonna be praying our own. And that's imperative in this season, friends. So incredibly important. I was asked this week, 
by a, by a super well-meaning individual. I was asked, well, shouldn't you just be preaching the gospel right now? And I have to tell you that in that moment, my heart broke for this person. Because what they were not understanding is that this is the gospel. This is the gospel message, friends. This is exactly how God in this season wants us to deliver the gospel to his people. Look at Galatians. Galatians 6, 2, many of you know this, but we need to be reminded in this context. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is he saying there? Friends, the entirety of the gospel is fulfilled. It is preached in its entirety when you are willing to take on the burdens of your brother, the burdens of your sister, even when they're not your own, but you take them as your own. It's humbling ourselves before we even approach the Lord in prayer. But I gotta tell you, as humans, man, this is not easy. And this, is, this does not come natural to us, right? Our flesh, our flesh rejects that. And in addition to that, I believe the enemy of our souls knows just how powerful we will be as the church if we can really grasp what God is telling us to do in humbling ourselves. And because he understands that power that we could walk in, I believe he does everything in his power to keep us from it. And you know what I've noticed recently is there's three specific areas, three specific areas that the enemy entices us with, three areas that he puts in our way, in our lives, in our thinking that truly keep us from humbling ourselves. And I want to unpack those to you as a sub point of this first point. The first area that I see the enemy use to keep us from humbling ourselves is denial. Well, what does that look like? I think in this season so often it looks like denial, number one, of there even being an issue, <laughs> right? We just kind of close our eyes to it. Yeah, I don't want to look at that. No, it's, it doesn't really exist. It's just denying that the issues of injustice that we see all over the globe even exist. Or for some of us, it looks like denial of it being our problem. Our problem is the church. We deny that God's even called us to be any part of the solution. We deny that the Lord wants to use us to bring healing. I see the enemy use denial all the time. Another one that I see consistently that the enemy uses to keep us from humbling ourselves is deflection. Do you know what deflection is? <laughs> deflection is wanting to talk about another issue instead of the issue at hand, the issue right in front of us. So the enemy convinces us that we are supposed to deflect. And man, I, I, I have done this in my marriage before. Anybody done that, being in the middle of a conversation and you just kind of deflect to something else? And, and you know, Pastor JF, he is, he is near perfect, friends. I am not. <laughs> and so I got to tell you, uh, you know, let, let's just imagine it. Let's imagine it this way. Let's pretend that Pastor JF comes to me and says, sweetheart, because you know he always calls me sweetheart. Sweetheart, I just really, I, I really think we need to work on our communication. I just feel like our community, I don't even know any man that says this to his wife, but let's pretend. Okay. We need to work on our communication, right? And what if in that moment, he's bringing an issue, right, to hand, something that is very important to him. In that moment, what if I go, yeah, well, the garbage disposal needs to be fixed. I'm deflecting, right? What if I say, well, Israel, she, she needs to do her homework, right? I, I'm deflecting. Let's, let's take it a little more to where we are today. Let's say that, God forbid, I go home tonight, and in the middle of the night, 
my house catches on fire. And I run into the middle of the street with my family, right? I run into the middle of the street and I'm yelling to my neighbors. I'm calling people. I'm texting. I'm yelling. I'm saying, my house is on fire. Help. My house is on fire. And what if my neighbor, what if my neighbor comes out of his house and says, uh, you know what? Uh, my property line ends right here. That ain't my problem. My house is on fire. Yeah, well, you know what? You probably should have looked into your electrical a few years ago when you had questions about it. My house is on fire. Well, you know, houses burn around the world every day. My house is on fire. Well, every house in this neighborhood is made of wood and by the same contractor. Yes, but my house, my house is the one that is on fire. Friends, I'm seeing this over and over. Well-meaning people that are allowing the enemy to deflect the conversation when God is calling us to be the solution, to intercede for our brothers and sisters whose houses are on fire. Deflection. And the last thing that I'll unpack this morning that I see the enemy use over and over to keep the church globally from actually humbling ourselves in the way that he's called us to is discomfort. So we have denial, deflection, and discomfort. And the reality is, friends, we've got to change the way we as the church in America, we have to change the way that we view discomfort. Because so many of us, myself included, have been terrified of it. And we run from it, right? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting in verse 12, it says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. And in case you didn't think that the scripture was talking about racial tensions, He goes ahead and includes whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 24. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now look at this, verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Friends, we have to change the way that we are thinking about discomfort. So many of us are running from what God is calling the church to do in this season, in the middle of this specific crisis, because we are so afraid of being in uncomfortable situations. Can I tell you that worship takes so many forms? We have to change our thinking. Not only is worship singing songs, not only is it clapping hands, not only is it giving of our time and talents and our money, all of those things. But sometimes worship looks like grieving with our brothers and sisters. Empathy is powerful worship. And so often the Lord just desires to intercede through his church for his church. And we refuse to feel the discomfort and we block the Holy Spirit from using us in the way that he desires. And I want to relent to you, friends. Open your Bibles. Lamenting, mourning, grieving is found throughout Scripture. 
every major character that we are introduced to, we see them do this over and over. Examples galore. So many of even the Psalms are Psalms of lament and grieving and mourning, giving that pain back to God because he's the only one that knows what to do with it, allowing him to intercede through us on behalf of our brothers and sisters. And if that wasn't enough, there's an entire book called Lamentations. All lament. We have to change our thinking about discomfort because the Lord is calling us to humble ourselves. Let's go back to the text. If my people, that's you and me, friends, who are called by my name when we understand our calling, our mission, if we will humble ourselves, right? If we'll stop and make a conscious effort to put the feelings, the pain, the needs of our brothers and sisters above ourselves and then pray and seek my face. And that's the second point. If you're taking notes, we are to pray and seek his face, but only after we've humbled ourselves. We are to pray and seek his face. I think that that phrase, seek his face, gets confusing, right? It's not really a phrase that we would use um, in this culture, in this day and age, seeking someone's face. So I wanna unpack that for you for a second because I think it's a powerful picture. The, the term that's translated into face throughout scripture is also translated into his presence, so it's seeking his presence. Well, how is seeking his presence the same as seeking his face? And I want to show you this amazing diamond that Pastor JF saved up and purchased. I'm kidding. It's really hard these moments to preach when you can't hear people laughing. You're like, oh, this is painful. Yeah. This diamond, right? This big fake glass diamond. It's cut in such a way that we can see that it is multifaceted. And when I'm in the presence of the diamond, the approach will determine the facet of the diamond that I see in that moment. So the more time I spend looking, admiring, experiencing all the various facets of this beautiful diamond, the more I understand its entirety. Does that make sense? You gotta understand that our God is multifaceted. He has so many faces. His character spans so many arenas. And the more we spend time in his presence, the more we admire who he is, the more we get in his word and understand more about his character and all the faces of his character, the more we will understand his heart, the more we will understand his desires, the more we will understand exactly how he wants us to pray. Let me put it in terms of natural relationships. When I first met Pastor JF, I saw his face and I was like, well, <laughs> whoo, he's handsome, right? And I learned more about him. And over the span of getting to know him for eight years, and then now having been married almost 11 years beyond that, I have to tell you that I know his face so much better. I know his character so much better. And I feel like I know him in a way that when I walk into a room, when I'm in his presence, I can glimpse at his face and I can understand pretty closely what he's thinking in that moment, what he's desiring, right? Most of you don't understand. Pastor JF's a pretty intense introvert like myself. So there are times when I walk into a room and I'm like, oh, he needs to be saved. Okay, right? But that comes from spending time in his presence, understanding more of his facets, more of his face, getting to know his heart. And that's exactly what the Lord's talking about here. 
He said, after you humble yourself, after you put the needs and the pain and the importance of others before yourself, then I want you to begin to pray. But don't just pray. I need you to seek my face. I need you to get to know me better so that when you walk into a situation, you begin to know better exactly what my heart feels about the situation, how I want you to respond, not the way your flesh wants to respond, how my heart desires for you to respond. And friends, we look at Scripture And scripture is clear that when we see Jesus, we see the Father. And so I want to look at what Jesus does. You can look throughout scripture, but this week I was specifically focused on a story in John 4. And I I don't have time to read it to you. Go and read it tonight. It's a powerful, powerful story that reminds us again that racism the evil of racism and racial tension is not brand new to our world. Not only is it just 400 years old in America, right? This is something that has existed from the beginning of time. The second that sin came into the world. And I need for you to understand God's heart on it because Jesus spoke to it over and over and over. And if you weren't listening to Pastor JF's message last week, please go to YouTube and, and watch that podcast. You will be impacted. He talks about the Good Samaritan. And you have to understand that in Jesus' times, in his time, Samaritans were half Jewish. And so for the Jewish people, they were seen as kind of half human. They were half class. So much so that Jews, when they were traveling from Judea to Galilee or vice versa, they would actually go a really long route around Samaria so that they wouldn't even have to be around those Samaritans. (laughs) And man, I tell you, the heart of Jesus, the heart of God the Father, is so intent on dispelling that evil that I love what John 4 says about this story. If you look, I'm only gonna read this one scripture from the entire story, this one passage, because I think it sums up so much of the heart of God. John 4, starting in verse three, says, so he, meaning Jesus, left Judea, And went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Why? Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Let me me show you what Jesus did. I have a map here that I want to unpack for you. If you look on the dotted line that goes from Judea to Galilee, you'll see the route that most Jews took just so they didn't have to encounter the awkwardness, just so they wouldn't have to encounter the discomfort, just so they wouldn't have to encounter any of those individuals. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I have to get into the middle of this awkwardness. I have to get into the middle of this pain and this hurt. And if you look that green line with the arrows, That is the path that Jesus took. And Jesus stops there at Jacob's well. Why does he stop at Jacob's well? Because that journey, putting himself in the middle of that awkwardness, in the middle of all that tension, he not only saw it as important to the kingdom of God, he put himself there for the one, for the one woman that would come to that well, that scandalous place. And can I tell you, it was so scandalous for Jesus to have been there that the disciples weren't even comfortable. If you look at the passage, he actually sent the disciples away. You know, go get some groceries, bro. I, you know, you still don't get it. I'm working on you. And Jesus sits and he waits for one incredibly disenfranchised Samaritan woman. Why? Because he wanted to deliver the hope 
that he brings, the hope that only Jesus can bring, the hope that Jesus says specifically that you and I are called to distribute to our world. I wanna look at how Matthew unpacks it. It's so powerful. This is a passage from Matthew that's about Jesus, but it's quoting a prophecy out of Isaiah. And this is something that is said repeatedly throughout scripture, but for the sake of time, I'll just read this one. Matthew 12, talking about Jesus. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. I want you to circle that word nations because in the original language, that word is ethnos. It's the word that we get ethnicity from. So what's Matthew saying? What's Isaiah saying? What is this prophecy about Jesus? He's saying Jesus will proclaim justice to all ethnicities. That's your savior, that's mine. Matthew concludes this quoting of Isaiah's prophecy with verse 21, look with me. In his name, the nations, same word. In his name, all ethnicities will put their hope. Friends, we have a hope. We have the hope of the world. But the Lord is counting on us as his people, called by his name, to be willing to humble ourselves and not just pray, but pray while seeking the heart of God so that our prayers reflect exactly what his will, what his desire, and what his kingdom reflects. That's our mission. Let's finish this passage. Scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Number three, we are to turn from wicked ways. Well, Pastor Ashley, wicked ways? I mean, I don't get everything right, but I don't, I don't feel wicked, right? Can I just tell you that Pastor JF and myself have spent more time in the last month repenting and crying before the Lord than I can remember in maybe our whole marriage. Repenting together because the Holy Spirit has begun to expose things in our lives. Friends, not things that I would even necessarily call wickedness. It, was, it felt more indifference. Can I tell you that's wickedness? When we are indifferent to what God is calling us to, when we are indifferent about what breaks the heart of God, that is wickedness. And the Lord has shown us that. And we have repented before the Lord together. We've gone to brothers and sisters that we love so much and we've repented to them. And friends, I wanna repent to you right now. If I have ever, if I have ever shown indifference when the Lord wanted me to step up, I repent. Forgive me, forgive me for not getting this faster. Forgive me for not speaking up more in the past. Forgive me for not understanding our calling as the church. Friends, he's calling us. He's calling us to allow the Holy Spirit to search us. It's exactly what Pastor J.F. mentioned earlier. The psalmist David 
A man after God's heart was constantly saying, Lord, search me, know me. If there's anything inside of me that's not pleasing to you, Lord, expose it. I wanna look more like you. And I have to tell you, friends, if continual repentance is not a part of your daily life, it needs to be. I know that that can seem confusing because we preach God's grace and he is a gracious God. So I wanna explain to you, I'm not talking about the repentance where you repent before the Lord and he saves you. His forgiveness is full and perfect. That is taken care of. Your eternal security is taken care of in that moment. I believe scripture is clear about that. But the continual repentance I'm talking about doesn't determine your salvation. It's not for your salvation, it's for the kingdom of God. It is so that our lives daily reflect the heart of the Father a little more than they did the day before. So that every person that we encounter sees a little more of Jesus in our lives than they could have the day before. And we serve such a loving, gracious God that just exposes things as we're able to take it. And that's what he's been doing in your pastors. He's been exposing some of that unknowing indifference. And so friends, I just want to invite you right now to ask the Holy Spirit to do the same in you. Maybe it doesn't look like that. Maybe it looks like something else. Whatever it is, he's so perfect and good. And he will begin to just break those chains off of his children as we allow him to come and search us. And he doesn't just leave us there. Because it's more than just God get the evil out of our lives. It's beyond that. It's a transformation process. And I love how Isaiah puts it here. Because in Isaiah 1, the passage is talking about repentance. It's talking about allowing the Lord to search our hearts and the things that don't look like him. But it doesn't just stop with dispelling the evil. Isaiah 1 verse 17 says, learn to do right. You have to learn it, friends. It's not something that comes natural all the time for us. We're inherently selfish people, right? So, so then he doesn't stop there. He actually answers what is right, not in our eyes, but God's eyes. So learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Friends, it's our calling as the church. And I believe, you know, we've been praying. We were praying for 2020, believing that it would be the year of great revival. But I think we forget sometimes in our churchy language what the term revival even means. Revival means a strengthening, a strengthening a strengthening and heading back to its original purpose. And friends, I have to tell you, I believe that's what God is doing right now. I believe he is shining a clarity, a 2020 type clarity on the areas of the church that don't reflect the heart of the Father so that he can strengthen the church as a whole and make it the bride that he desires. And I believe that for 2020. And just because we haven't gotten it perfect doesn't mean he's done with us. He's such a good God. If my people who are called by my name will first humble themselves, and then after they do that, begin to pray, but not just pray what they want. Seek my face, but all the while allowing me to point out the ways that don't look like me. That's how I'll do it. Then I'll hear from heaven. 
I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It's his promise, friend. And we are standing on it. And we, as a church, are committed to acting on it daily in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Wherever you are, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never done that initial repentance of, Lord, and all repenting means is turning, okay? So that's another churchy word that I have to remember. You know, all it means is to turn. So if you're going this way, oh, this is the wrong way. Guess what? I'm repenting. I'm going your way, Lord. That's all it means. So it's not some big religious act. It's, Lord, I realize this isn't the way you want me to go. Nobody's asking for penance. You don't have to lash yourself, nothing like that. Nope. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I want to go your way. And then you turn. You turn. That's how good our God is, friends. So right now, if you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. Just in your own words. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to be one of your people with this mission, Lord. I want your spirit inside of me. I want your forgiveness, your mercy, your grace. I want to exchange it for all of my guilt and sin and shame. And shame. And friends, that is the best exchange you could ever, ever have. So just do it right now. Just pray. Just pray. All of heaven is rejoicing over you, friends. Scripture is clear about that too. The party that is wailing because of your decision to turn and to follow him. And maybe in listening to the word of God being unpacked in this way, the Holy Spirit has highlighted areas of your life that don't look like him. Guess what? This is part of the journey. Like I said, he's continually doing that for Pastor JF and myself. That's the only way we grow. That's the only way we look more like him, right? Allowing him to do that. And if that's the case, I wanna pray for you right now. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is the most amazing, grace-filled light to expose darkness, to expose the enemy and the ways that he's tried to work himself into our lives, into the mission that you've called us to. So Lord, I ask that you would help us in all these areas, Lord. Help us to know that we're your people. Help us to understand what that means. Help us to know that the mission that you've called us to, how you desire, Lord, not to just poof, change the world, but to do it through us, in and through us, as your hands and your feet, Lord. God, help us to humble ourselves. This is not easy, Lord. There's so many so many tactics of the enemy. Help us to recognize, Lord, when we're in denial. Help us, help us to recognize when the enemy wants us to deflect the conversation. Help us, Lord, with that discomfort. Help us to lay that at your feet, God. Make it worship unto you, lamenting, Lord, feeling the pain and the hurt and the sorrow of our brothers and sisters, God, as worship unto you, as intercession on their behalf, on behalf of the body, God. When one suffers, we all suffer. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to pray your heart as we seek your face. Lord, and then help us to turn. As you expose these things, God, we, it's so important for us sometimes to hold up these ridiculous pretenses of getting it right all the time. Lord, it's bogus. We're all so broken. Lord, as you begin to expose things, give us the courage, God, to turn. Give us the courage to say we got it wrong. Speak to your people, Lord. Give us the courage to be those examples. Yeah, you know what? I used to think this, but now I know this. God has done this in my life, being witnesses of what your spirit is doing. Make us the bride, the church that you've called us to be, Lord. Give us your heart. Thank you, God, that you're doing it right now. You're doing it right now in people. Holy Spirit, you're just revealing. It's like surgery. 
with the amazing sharp sword of the word is just surgery going, yep, this doesn't belong there. We're going to go ahead and cut that out. And yeah, it hurts, but it's a healing type of hurt. It hurts to realize you've gotten it wrong in certain areas for so long. But it's the healing surgical hurt. And he's the healer. He's the healer. Lord, use us. Use us, Father, to be the agents of hope, delivering the hope of Jesus, God. That you, you are desiring to heal our land. God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit and your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Part of what I believe has been so powerful in the way the Holy Spirit's moving in this wild pandemic season too, um, just taking time. A lot of us have more time, right, than, than we maybe did before, and it's more chaotic, but we've been giving questions at the end of each teaching, and our desire is that you would discuss these questions in your small groups, your virtual small groups, maybe a prayer group, maybe it's texting with your best friend, or maybe it's just you and the Holy Spirit journaling and chewing on his word and allowing him, right, with that flashlight, just spotting things out. And so that's our prayer and that's our hope for you with these questions. And so we're gonna toss them up on the screens and you can take a screenshot of them or uh, copy paste them, our hosts online or putting them in the comments as well. Just make sure that you meditate on them this week. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in this powerful way. Number one, what does it mean for you to be part of the body of Christ? Just answer it in your own words. What do you believe your mission and calling is during this season? Friends, it's important to know that, to know what your mission is. Number two, what does it look like to humble yourself? Use your own words. What does that look like? Why would God desire for us to do that before we even pray or seek his face concerning the healing of our land? And number three, are you regularly asking the Holy Spirit to search your heart? Is repentance a part of your walk with the Lord? Why or why not? Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.